right, we are live in the local studio. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. And joining me is the former White House press secretary, President Donald Trump, a former host at Newsmax TV and host of the uh, unnamed new podcast that I can't say is the Sean Spicer Show. It could or be. The Spicer and something or spicier or something, something. I'll be to determined. Thanks for having me. It is good to be with you. First off, just look at the two of us. I mean, I know, we look like we should be hosting a show together. Or, or all right, deal. That's it. We settled it. <laughs> Maybe that's the new show. I mean, really, we really set this up. Um, what's the deal, man? You left Newsmax. I did. You're a free agent. You wanted to be free. I, I did. enjoyed doing your show. Well, I'd love to have you. You can still. This yeah. is the beautiful part about it. Uh, <laughs> Look, I think in this age that we're in right now, and I, I, I count you as a, a mentor and someone that blazed a trail. You look at Bongino and Beck, uh, what Megyn Kelly's done, Liz Wheeler. Um, the ability to go out and not be constrained by a network. Um, and and the, the, don't get me wrong, I'm not disparaging. I mean, they, they have a role, and, and they, but it's a set time for a set amount of minutes. Um, I looked at the upcoming cycle, President Trump's, Obviously, the front runner in the in the in the Republican nomination. Um, I spent six years at the RNC. Uh, last cycle as chief strategist, two presidential cycles, ten members of Congress, countless campaigns, and I thought I have something to add, and I don't know that I want to be constrained by a network. And was um, it just technical constraint, like meaning time? Like a lot of times when I do right. cable shows, even when I would do your show, it's like we'd have six minutes, let's say, and by minute five, now we're getting going, and then they have Correct. To, so was that it, or was it more of a content, like they don't want you talking about certain things? No, 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 it wasn't that much. To your point, it's you have six minutes to break down a, a very complex subject. Why the rules of the party, why the debate structure is what it is. Uh, it doesn't lend itself to six minutes. Uh, first and foremost, and second, maybe you want to go on for 20 minutes, maybe you want to do some additional videos. The thing that people have to understand is that when you sign a network contract, whether it's Newsmax or Fox or ABC, they the trade-off that you're making is, I will restrict what I do to that network. That's what they're buying from you, is saying, well, you've got a lot of expertise or insight, we're, we're basically buying it from you so that you can't go anywhere else and display that. I get that. Um, but there was a point at which I realized the future is independent media, the ability to put stuff out and allow it to go on different platforms. So maybe you want to put out a tweet, obviously Rumble and YouTube, Locals. There's all these different ways of getting things out. And you look at the major cable stations, Dave, the average age of a viewer is 70 years old. Now, those are a very highly, uh, it's, a, it's a group that, that votes in a very high they intensity. Vote, they vote, right? Yeah. So it's important. But, but if I want to have an influence in the next generation of Americans who I feel that I've got something to offer, talk about the ills of the direction of the current administration or what have you, I thought, is that really where I want to be in constraint to that? If I go uh, and, and do something in the independent media field, I could still go on Newsmax. I could still go on CNN or Dave Rubin's show or Liz Wheeler's show and, and have a much bigger base to spread the message and the information that I think I have. So long story short, you've been jealous of me for quite some time. Very much. Mostly the hair. <laughs> it's mostly the hair. You're killing it in the hair game. Yeah. They've done something to you. Yeah, right. I don't know so, what they've done. Is it vitamins? What are they doing? Uh, it's a lot of supplements. <laughs> uh, you know all those things that they sell? You know, I dial all You're the on all of them. Yeah. I mean, I, whatever Seb Gork is selling, I got that. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, but 
you know, I do. You look wanted at, to be free. I mean, in I essence, wanted, yeah, you wanted to be free. I wanted to be free. I wanted to do. Um, and again, and it, there's a trade-off that you're making when you are a W two employee of a network. There are times when they're saying these are the subjects we want you to cover, or maybe some subjects you want to stay away from. I want to go where I want to go, where I think people need information, uh, where I think they're not getting information. And if you think about the last few years, you know, the most obvious being Hunter Biden's laptop. Not that that was ever an issue to not talk about, but so many in the legacy media suppressed that story, and it mm -hmm. had an outcome. I think that there are a lot of stories that don't get attention, and it has to do with why things work, how things operate, and that going in this direction gives me that ability to have that conversation. Can you talk a little bit about how newsrooms operate? Because I think for people that watch my show or they watch some of the guys that you just mentioned there, they watch Tim Pool, Megan, et cetera, et cetera, you're just seeing one person in, take in knowledge, take in what's going on on Twitter and everything else, and then I try to communicate that back to my audience over, let's say, an hour or something like that. But in a newsroom, it's it's a very different situation when you have, I don't know how many producers you right. had and all that. I'm guessing you're going to have a slimmed down staff now. I, I like a slim trim operation, but that's that's not for everybody. Well, look, you have network considerations. Uh, so sometimes they're saying, here are the guests that we want you to get on. Here are the subjects we need you to get covered. A show is basically broken up to, not every show, but most shows are broken up into six blocks, right? You do an opening and then you've got a commercial and then another segment or a guest and then you've got a commercial. So you've got six blocks to, to figure out what you want. Sometimes there are subjects that you have to cover. Breaking news, network mandates, guests that they're requiring you to get on, uh, books that they want you to review or, or what have you. Um, and, and so it's a combination and it depends on the day. There is no day where it's your show. I always told people, because I took a lot of viewer input through my website, SeanSpicer.com, they would email me and say, I didn't like that subject or, you know, why don't you do this? And I'd say, just because it has my name on the show, I don't own it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. the network could call it any day and say, it's not Spicer and Company anymore. It's Company and Spicer or whatever they wanted to. It's their network. Um, I just work there. And you saw in the case of Tucker Carlson, one of the things that people, I think, weren't fully aware of, Tucker's still getting, at least, and again, I don't have any inside information, I'm not, but from all reports, Tucker's getting paid. The network's just keeping him off the yeah. air. And I think that people miss that sometimes where... Would you take 25 mil to be off the air? I'd take five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't... Say, sure, I would take 25 million to be off the air. Yeah. I think Tucker's in a very different situation. He wants to have the influence. And I, I mean, I jokingly say that because... I think that part of the reason I'm doing this is because I, I don't, you know, everybody's got something. I got a brother who knows everything about sports. That's really not my thing. Some people are really good at art. Uh, I love politics and the media. I think that based on my 30 years of doing this, I have the ability to translate what's happening and why. Why someone went to a particular place, why they gave the speech at that particular time, why they spent their money in their campaign in the way that they did, or maybe why it was a mistake that they did something the way that they did. Um, having seen it so many times over the years, uh, and I think it's important to bring that to people because there are too many times when people are, you know, if you go back to the sports metaphor, there's a million times people are. Armchair, arm, armchair quarterbacks, and mm -hmm. they sit back and say, you know what, you should have thrown right, and you go, except the fact there were five guys rushing them, and yeah, that yeah, might have yeah. made it difficult to see that. I think sometimes in politics, what I want to break down is the ability to say, you know, I know that might seem obvious, but here's why that's a bad issue. And the, the most obvious thing, I always tell people this, when I was the assistant U.S. trade rep, 
for a long time, people had urged us to file an intellectual property case against China. They were stealing our movies. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people in the industry didn't want the government to file the case. And you think to yourself, that's pretty counterintuitive. Until you realize when we finally did file the case, there wasn't a movie from the US shown in China for six months mm -hmm. for censor reasons, right? That, that, that it was almost like the industry had factored in the intellectual property reasons. But that's not right or wrong. I'm just saying that there are sometimes reasons why things are happening in government, in politics, in the media that might not be as obvious to folks. And I think that because of where I've worked and what I've done, I have the ability to say, let me give you some insight into that to make you more informed as a citizen. Do you think there's any parallel to any other time in media or politics, at least in modern times, where it seemed like everything was collapsing at once? Like, I'm basically of the opinion at this point, if the administration, this current administration, says anything, almost anything, I think it's a complete lie. The, yeah. Your former uh, job, the White House press secretary, I mean, Corinne Jean-Pierre is doing something remarkable, I think, that she is more dishonest than Jen Psaki. That's actually incredible. And they have the media on their side. When you were there, right. the media was against you. We can, <laughs> we, we've talked about that. Yeah. We, can, we can talk about it further. But, but my point is that the media is collapsing and our political establishment is collapsing seemingly at the exact same time, almost almost connected to each other, actually. But, you know, and I don't want to bring this back to, to obviously part of the reason I'm here, but that's why you've but seen, you thank God, you will. but I will. But I will. But this is guy. why you have flourished, Dan Bongino's flourished, Glenn Beck has flourished, Megan, Liz, I mean, all these people, because people are saying, that's not honest, I'm watching it with my eyes. Yeah. I'm watching people flood over the southern border, and the White House press secretary is like, We're, we have this <laughs> under control. And you're like, okay. Yeah. And then I turn on NBC News or the Washington Post and I see nothing. So where am I going to get somebody to tell me what's really happening? And I think that's where people are searching out these things. I mean, you look, I, I've done Tim Pool's show twice. That guy gets numbers on a nightly basis, live, mm -hmm. that most some networks would kill for. Yeah. Because people are saying, I'm tired of being misled, lied to. Uh, have stories suppressed, and they're looking and they're searching for people who have insight and ideas that they're not getting anywhere. But is it odd to you that these guys can't course correct? I, I always say it's like the media doesn't have to be great. I would just prefer they not be completely horrible. But to see the and problem they, is seem, that, they seem unable, like the Titanic. They see the they see I, the iceberg. I, I often wondered that myself. I'd say, why don't like after the 2016 election? I was in New York City. Um, obviously, that's where Trump headquarters was. Senior executives from NBC called and said, can we have coffee? Can we talk? So we, we had with this sit down and they said, we're going to, we realized we missed a lot of this. So we're going to set up these pop-up bureaus around America. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You're going to go to like Cedar Rapids for like a week and think that like your New York dude is going to suddenly get in touch with all of these farmers and people who depend on the land. And, but right, like their, like their idea was like, it was like a, a field trip. Yeah. I mean, and there is a complete utter misunderstanding of, of and, and I, I think there was no bigger, to me, realization than when Trump did this town hall on CNN the other night. Mm -hmm. All of these folks on the left and in the media broke down the next day and apologized. Anderson Cooper went <laughs> off on this rant. But here's the thing that <laughs> I said. You never the, watch CNN right, again. But, but, but the thing that I thought was fascinating, Walter Shapiro put out an op-ed that said, we should never do live audiences again. And you're like, because why? Yeah. Because you didn't control it. Remember that audience was picked, handpicked by CNN. Yeah. But let me go back to Anderson Cooper. 
he gets on and does this monologue about how, you know, I'm sorry if you are offended. Now, regardless of whether you like Trump or not, at the end of the day, he is currently the, the, the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. And according to ABC Washington Post, he leads Biden by seven. Okay, so that means, let's call it a majority of voters in both the primary and in the general are supportive of Trump. Who are you apologizing to? Mm -hmm. If you're supposed to be a down the middle media organization, in theory, you should be catering to 50-50. That's what CNN says that they do. So why are you apologizing? Because what, 46% were offended or upset? Because they live in a bubble. And I'm convinced that that gets to the nut of your question. They don't talk to anyone or see anyone that thinks differently from them. So they finish their afternoon, whatever they do after CNN, and then fly by helicopter to the Hamptons, hang around a bunch of people who think the same way they do, fly back, go to some fundraiser or charity event where everyone talks about the same things that they do. I I just don't think that there's an understanding that there's another part of the country other than the one that they live in. And so it's an ignorance that I think is driving this. You think it might have been a risk to call everybody a bigot and a racist for 10 years because then eventually you realize you can't talk to anybody else and you end right. up you end up in that exact situation. So I, I think for a lot of these folks, when you look at the parties, and, and Political Playbook has a morning digest of you know, who was spotted at what, it's always the same people at the same events talking to each other. On the left, they never invite anybody on the right. They just, and so the, the, the media folks are talking to a bunch of elected Democrats and political operatives on the left. So they all hear the same thing and they think somehow that's just the prevailing narrative. I think that's the biggest problem right now is that there is no cross-pollination. I say to people all the time, believe me, I get yelled at by Democrats, uh, by folks on the left, by Trump haters. So I I see it, I hear it. I'm very well aware that a lot of people don't like the Republican Party, conservative policies, Donald Trump. But I think for folks on the left, they don't see the other side. They don't think that there is anybody that supports conservative policies, that wants a secure border, that stands up for life, those things to them are just, they, they don't get it. They're, they're going, I don't know, who, who are these people that you speak of? Right, well, a guy like me is too out there for them. I mean, I've never been on CNN, ever. I've put right. out two best-selling books. We tried to get on CNN. But in, 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 in all, you know, you're a very reasonable person. Like you've been on the left. In a way, that's a bigger risk for them. Right. That's the problem. It's a threat. Yeah. Right. So you talk about your evolution in your book. Uh, you've talked about the people that you've been around, the, the outreach. I know in, on your show, you talk a lot about the, the efforts that you've made to reach out to Democrats to appear. Yeah. Yeah. To, to them, they don't want you there. They don't want to hear another thing. It's funny. You think about like some of these Sunday shows. They have roundtables. They've never had ABC, CBS, one person that supports Donald Trump. Now, I think to myself, you may not like him, but go back to the statistics. He is the leading candidate, and he is currently either tied, maybe a point or two behind, or in front of Donald. I mean, of Joe Biden. But it's going to be a close race if he's the nominee. And yet, they don't want a single person on their show to give people perspective as to what he's doing or why. Why? Why? Because you don't want people to know. Let me ask you about the media strategy of your your former boss, Trump. So one of my frustrations with him has been that he is feeding the very machine that you're talking about. By going on CNN, he's telling you they're the failing New York Times and failing CNN and they have no ratings. But at the same time, he's empowering that very machine. And to me, that's a that's a real problem in terms of selective pressures. I would rather the machine just die and let's Let's go to the new ground, right? Let's go to the promised land. What do you think about that? I'm with you on that. I've never been a big fan 
of him supporting the people who are coming after him. Maggie go, Haberman, he go, keeps doing interviews with her. And he, he's got a fixation with some of these legacy outlets, particularly the New York Times, because he considers that his hometown paper still. Um, I would much rather him put his efforts in supporting shows like yours, shows like What Will Be Mine. Um, why not? I, I don't, because here's the thing that so many times people say, well, you're just talking to yourself. That's not true. If Trump talks to Dave Rubin, the New York Times will write about it. NBC will cover it. Uh, it's just a fact, right? And, and they will cover this. So why not support the people who are trying to build up this ecosystem of, of folks on the right and, and allow them to be successful? So, did, did you ever give him that kind of advice? When, when um, I tried once, kind of and um, I, I, <laughs> I was very clear about a, a particular, right after the election, he was going down the, to the New York Times to meet with the editorial board. I was not in favor of that. He let me know in very stark terms uh, that he really didn't care what I thought. Well, so your feeling was, oh, they're going to lie about you no matter what. Well, why, the, the, why, the, why are you? I also thought, why are we rewarding them this close to after the election? They didn't help us. They hated us, and they're not going to change their position because you go to them. In fact, I, I thought optically it looked bad. We're you are the president elect. They come to you. You don't go to them. Number one. Number two. Why of all the organizations are they at the top of the list? They should be at the bottom of the list. If you want to do them. Have a bunch of conservative folks, media, and have some people that were treated you fairly, um, and then get to them. But at the why are we leading with them? Um, but you know, his view was, I can handle anyone. He can, and that's the, it's not. I always viewed it as that's not. A, he he handled himself, I think, brilliantly at the CNN town hall. It's not a question of can you handle it, but he gave them 3.1 million viewers that night, the highest they beat every other station, and so. Well, I guess he understands that if he does that for them, they'll keep talking about him, and, right. then they, and then he'll go back to them. So that's what I'm saying. It becomes this odd, self-fulfilling prophecy that they'll both continue. Right. And I think that that's sort of a problem at this point. I agree. And part of the reason that I, I've never supported him doing that, and I still don't, is because of that exact reason. I think that the more that we give them credence to go after him, he talks to them, they, no one treats him fairly. I mean, he has sat down for books interviews, um, documentaries, you name it, and, and, and it always comes out looking poorly on him, no matter what. And so why let that happen? Because if he goes and talks to somebody else, they'll still cover it, so you'll get your, your, your thing. You're not going to win them over. It's just not going to happen. And I think that's what, you know, I think somehow he believes if he keeps chipping away, he has this businessman mentality, and I get it, which is I'm going to get a deal with you. You're going to like me. And I think people probably do come away liking him, mm -hmm. saying, wow, he's not what I thought. They're not going to go back to their editor and say, I tell you what, it went really well. <laughs> I'd like to write something nice about the guy. Right, right. That's not going to happen. Talk to me about your, your old job. We've talked about this a bit before. But when I watch, you, how long was your stint? It was pretty. Seven months. Seven months. And then Kaylee, no, then, then Sarah. Sarah, then, then Stephanie, then Kaylee. Right. Um, when I watched the last two, Saki, who just everything was a lie after lie after lie, and then and then this one, cringe on Pierre. I mean, it is extraordinary. When when you're watching her, are you pulling your hair out like, how the hell could it be this bad? I get it. So, a press secretary, you have to like. Open so I would say this yeah. as much as like I, I agree. Like Saki, at least was a professional. Okay, first of all, Jen, and just so the audience understands, when when you transition. Jen and Josh Ernst were very kind to me. I wrote about this in my first book. And they, they treated the, the transition in a very professional way and said, you know what, we disagree with you. 
But our job is to make sure you're ready to govern and that you guys are successful. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I, I give them credit for being very professional um, and, and, how they, and helpful, because they were. Jen, for what it's worth, is qualified to do that job. She had served as State Department spokesman. She had been on several campaigns. She had been with Obama. Um, you may not like the answers, and I get it. And I, I don't no, disagree. I, I accept that okay. there's a resume. Corinne Jean-Pierre okay. yeah. is not qualified to do the job. Yeah. Okay? And every single day, we hear it, we watch Chunk, it, Chunk, we see Chunk. it. She's a black lesbian, for God's sakes. What, right. what do you want? Exactly. But that's the point, is that this is the new standard, which is what box can you check, yeah. not are you qualified, are you experienced, can you do this? And this isn't like personal. She literally was a field operative before doing it. So if she got sent to the political, op you know, the political affairs office, I'd say, great, that makes sense. She was on uh, John Edwards' campaign. She had done a bunch of races in New York. I get that. She just never dealt with the media before. She wasn't a, someone who was familiar to them. She doesn't understand the current feeding. Um, and so it would be like somebody parachuting into you know, the political affairs job. You'd say, why are you doing that? They wanted her because she checks boxes and it shows every day. And the thing that upsets me more than that is the way that the White House press corps nods up and down yeah. as if what she's saying is A, true, and B, as if she knows what she's doing. They're complicit in this. And that's the thing, is that it, I couldn't get away with things that were factually true, but they would say, well, technically, <laughs> right. you know, the North right. Star was placed a little, I mean, they, yeah. they were trying to find ways to slice and dice it. With Corinne, she blatantly gets up there and talks about the president's policy led to a 90% drop in border crossings. That's patently false. And yet she gets away with it. Um, she talks about the president taking more questions than shouted questions than anyone before. I mean, you could hate Donald Trump and say, there's no question every day the guy was standing next to him when he won, whilst the propeller went off taking questions for, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day. Joe Biden hasn't talked to anybody for that long. What, what does that tell you about the people in that room at this point? I mean, they were obviously oppositional to guys like you. Right. And they're always going to be oppositional if there's a Republican president. They're not oppositional now, and she's still doing a, a pretty, I would say, piss poor job. Yeah. Well, maybe because, she's doing exactly because the job look, that Look, she I was think part of it for. is, remember, if you're on the team, yeah. then that's all that matters. Yeah. So she's on the team in several ways, right? She's, she had been working at MSNBC. She, uh, her partner works at CNN. Yeah. She is a liberal. So she fits the, they're, they're not going to hurt her because they know that she's got to end back up at CNN or MSNBC when this is all done. And that's, that's what's going to happen. Does it ever feel to you like we're in just the show must go on version of all of this? That's what it feels like a lot to me. Like none of it really works. We all kind of know it doesn't work. We know it's all corrupt. I'm talking about politics, yeah. media, the whole thing. But, but it sort of has to continue because if we were to really be confronted with the reality that none of it works, man, it would, it would collapse well, in, in it's a very than, it's, dangerous it's, way perhaps. It, it's worse than that because if you knew how little the government was prepared for certain things. <laughs> but also, I look at the threat that China poses. At this point, I'm happy they're not prepared for things. Well, they can only make things worse. But you look at the threat that, that China poses, um, the rise of our debt, all of these things, and say, it's right there. Um, I always I get a kick out of this, but there was in, in the first, um, uh, there was a, a scene where Dr. Evil is going after Scott Evil and he's trying to kill Austin Powers in that first Austin Powers movie. And he sends him down to, I think, be with the sharks. And Scott Evil says, can't we just deal? He's right there. We can shoot him. I have a gun. And Dr. Evil says, no, 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 no. We're going to put him in the shark tank right, right, where he right, right. obviously subsequently escapes. And so many times in government, the solution's sitting right in front of you. And you could say, can't you just solve that? And they go, no, no, no. You know what we're going to do? 
we're going to create a commission or we're going to create a study. And right. you're like, you're just punting. And I feel like whether it's the border, China, the debt, all of these issues, the government just doesn't want to act. And love him or hate him, the thing that I loved about Trump was that he would look at something bad, a trade deal. And I'd been, I mean, I joked about it from the podium, but I'd been the assistant U.S. trader up for under the last three years of Bush. And we were talk, told over and over again, well, you know, this, this, it's called it being in force. This trade agreement's in force. We can't do anything about it, unfortunately. We've all signed our names. Trump started to go, I don't really care. It's a bad trade deal. We're pulling out an after. And everyone's like, oh. And what happened? We ended up signing USMCA. Mm-hmm. Better deal for Wisconsin dairy farmers, Alabama automakers, over and over again. And you go, is that that bad? We pulled out of Iran. We pulled out. Of, I mean, like we did things, the Paris Climate Agreement. And everyone said, the, the, the sky is going to fall. When you're not concerned about the Jerusalem fact, embassy was supposed to start. Oh world my God, III, World War! Yeah. Um, and not only that, but it went from not causing World War to the Abraham Accords, which you know allowed yeah. for countries that hadn't talked. We have flights going over places you just came back from there a few weeks ago, where yeah. we we now have things. But somebody has to be willing to say, "I don't mind," because it it's always been done this way. I'm willing to take a chance and do it the other way, or if if it's better. And that's not. And this is, you know, this, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm shameless self-promoter here, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That to explain to people that there are better ways to do it. I watched President Trump do it. I watched the sky not fall. And so, you know, part of as we do this is, you know, and I, I don't want to bury the lead, but part of the show is we're going to build this all on local, something that you've done. And we're going to have a section where VIPs can tell me what do we want to hear? What, it, what are you guys interested in? What do you think we need more of or less of? And how do you want me to present this? Or who would be a good person to bring in? Or what kind of expertise? And that's the beautiful thing about doing what I'm doing, is that through the locals community, our, our VIP members can be part of this process and say, I want to know more about this. Why is the primary and caucus system set up the way it is? Why can't we stop the flow of illegal immigration? Why is, whatever it is. I might not be the best person, but I certainly know who is. And that's the other thing. I might you know, be able to call in somebody and say, hey, I keep getting questions from our locals audience that they want to know more about whatever. So let me get, you know, Chad Wolf to come in and explain it from the Homeland Security standpoint or Tom Homan to come in and talk about it from a border security standpoint. But I think there are things going on, to your point, that it feels like we're just doing something. The debt, I mean, this is insane what's going on with our debt. Every year, we keep having the same conversation and saying, well, we can't talk about it right now because we don't want to default. But then once we raise the debt ceiling, we forget to have the conversation. Right. And we keep reissuing the credit card and saying, we've raised your debt limit. Just please kind of don't maybe spend as much. Biden every day talks about more spending. And we're supposed to believe that this guy is going to be concerned about the long-term debt and debt ceiling. Is, is the problem with the debt ceiling, though, that people just know that they will just raise the ceiling. So yes. it's just like, yes, just keep raising it. But I it, mean, did, it, did it, an, a, a, like a well-known economist ever come into the White House while you were there and be like, guys, here's the, actually the reason why we can't do this forever, you know, something well, like that. Because Trump did it too, right? Sure, I mean, it's, it's Trump ra- did it it's too, raised, but the difference is, and again, I don't give anyone a pass, just so we're clear, right? But at the end of the day, there's a difference between a worldwide pandemic where both parties are saying we need to take care of this. I was not a, in agreement with all the spending, but then again, that's not my job. Um, and we're seeing now when we're clawing back spending, it's because no one thought it through the right way and there was no accountability. Um, but the, the bigger point is, you know, we, no one, 
no one is willing to care. Like if you keep saying to folks, well, the interest on the debt is going to rise and it's going to crowd out stuff in 2047, they're like, okay. <laughs> right? I mean. Right. Like we'll figure it out then. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. sort of like, you know, when, when if you think back, you know, a decade ago when we were doing these loans where there's like, okay, we're going to give you a really low interest rate, but then there's a balloon payment in 15 years. You're like balloon payment, balloon payment, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 15 years until that balloon payment comes. And the point is we're crowding out other spending within a couple decades so that we're going to literally have a conversation where it says, unfortunately, we're paying so much interest on the debt that we can't do certain things. What do you think it would take to actually have serious people, again, involved in politics and then media? Obviously, we're here in Florida. You know my feelings about what's going on right. here in Florida and what the governor has done and everything else. Um, it seems to be working here. It uh, is. And it's working in a couple other red states. But how do you scale that, do you think? Um, I think Governor DeSantis has done a great job of going to other states and talking about how to export Florida. Yeah. Um, because the thing that I, I, I've always appreciated about DeSantis is that he does a lot from the gut, which means it's not poll tested. It's like, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, he's helping law enforcement. He's helped teachers. He handled COVID well. Um, and I think that part of this is to give these governors um, and other elected officials the understanding that if you do the right things for the right reasons, things will happen well, mm -hmm. right? You can't govern yourself by a bunch of polls. And too often, that's what happens. Um, and that you have to be willing to take a hit. If you think about COVID with DeSantis, he got hit, roughed up a bunch at the beginning yeah. in terms of the testing centers. The first few weeks probably, and, I, and my timeline may be a little off, but it, it wasn't perfect. Eight weeks, 12 weeks in or whatever it was, people were saying, wow, look at how well this is working. Mm. These centers that he set up at the different publics or what have you, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not from here. Uh, so well, you could get monoclonal treatment, right. which I got literally the day I got to Florida, I tested positive for COVID. When we moved here, Welcome. I, went, I went to a, a center within an hour, I had monoclonal treatment, and the worst thing that happened to me at the height of COVID were my legs hurt for a couple of days, right. that was it. But the point is, Oh, and then the federal government made it illegal to do monoclonal. Right, treatment, right, so, right. Yeah. But the point is, is that you have to be willing as a leader to take that chance and to say, I know what the right thing to do is, and I think it'll pay off. And it may not pay off 24 hours. It may pay off in 24 days. DeSantis has done that a lot in Florida. You've seen Kim Reynolds in Iowa do mm -hmm. that. I think Sarah Sanders is doing a good job. I loved your conversation with her uh, a few weeks back. Um, but she's doing things that I think, you know, you asked her on that thing, what about criminal justice? She said, you know what, there were some people that weren't great, but I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. That's leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to see more of these guys willing to stand up and say, I'll take the hit. Sometimes it might not be perfect, but I know what the right thing to do is. You know, it's true at a gut level, too, not just at a policy level or a success level, because, you know, DeSantis did this six-week abortion thing. Right. I'm personally not for that. I think the 15-week thing was fine here. I go to all the Republican events. I never heard anyone complaining about abortion. I thought we had it right. I think for the general, it looks way better if you're at 15 than six, just optically. But then I heard him talk about it like a week or two ago, and basically he was like, that's my personal belief. The people voted for me. I'm doing what I think is right. And I was like, I have to respect that. I right. may not agree with the decision, but it's also nice to respect somebody that's in office. But you gotta think about it, to your point, he did something that he said, I might not get, there, if you pulled it, you might get everyone to say what you said initially. 15 weeks is great. He said, you know what? I'm willing to go further because I, I want to stand up and fight for life. I believe the following. He was willing to take a risk yeah. for the right thing. We need more people like that. 
If you sit back and if his if his calculation was, gosh, six, I believe in, in my gut, but gosh, it's going to cost me politically. That's the problem. I know that's the problem. And he knows it's, look, it has to. I, I don't see any way around it. For a gen, It doesn't hurt you in the primary, a Republican primary, but my guess is it does hurt him in, yeah, the, maybe. in, the, in the general. So that, but that shows guts. That's my point. Right. Yeah. And I think the general big sense of it is where he's done well is that instead of like a lot of Republicans that have stuck their head under the chair and said, I don't want to talk about it and I hope this doesn't happen. If you're going to sign it and you believe it, go out and fight for it. And he has at least gone out there and said, I believe in this. Here's why. Here's why it makes sense. You have to take these issues head on if they're going to be controversial. If you're going to fight for it, then fight for it. But you can't vote for it or sign it and then say, okay, I'm going to go duck and hide. Right. The Democrats, they, politically, they know that they might have something if they out-message you. Speaking of fight for it, so what do you make of what's going on here with Trump and DeSantis? Because it's, it's getting, you know, DeSantis hasn't even announced yet. It's obviously happening at this point. Right. Uh, Trump, to me, has thrown in the, the kitchen sink at this point. I mean, going after Florida the way he is, like, my, you know, I like yeah. him, I voted for him, I'm friends with the kids, all of that stuff that I always say first. But I think his behavior towards DeSantis, who has been by far the best public servant that we've had in America for the last three, four years, it's, it's a real turnoff to so, people, I think. So here, here's, and I hear that. I, I was at uh, a big Trump event probably a month and a half ago. And the message, they said, when you talk to the president, can you tell him, we love him as president, we love DeSantis as governor, let's not. I agree with that, okay? I, I don't like red on red. I don't like conservatives. We need to support each other, whether it's conservative media, conservative policies. Get behind things. Don't attack whether it's, you know, even on... Well, that's what I keep saying. Make the case for yourself. There's right. a case for be, to right. be made for Trump. Oh, for and, sure. I, and I've said that too, because I think yeah. he, everyone else runs around and says, I, I want Trump policies. I want America first policy. I'm not Trump. My point to Trump has been, you're Trump. Just say, I am him. Like, I'm not <laughs> trying to be him. Yeah. That being said, so do I, would I rather have him making the case for him, DeSantis making the case for him? Yes. That being said, it's very Sun Tzu, what Trump is doing, which is prior to the end of the Florida legislature, that the, they moved it up more than I thought they would, but end of April, they changed that resign to run law. Yeah. Trump knew that, his, that he, DeSantis' hands were tied. Yeah. So why not just keep, I mean, imagine that you're literally having to fight somebody physically, yeah. and they say for the first five days of the fight, their hands are tied behind their back. You can whack at him for those five days, why wouldn't you? But I don't think it worked. I do. And I mean, I think, look at the poll numbers. They did yeah, work. I mean, I his, think, I think Trump we'll went see. up we'll to say, now maybe, yeah. but, but I get why he did it. He took the free shot and said, I'm going to take DeSantis' numbers. I'm going to bring them down. I'm going to try to make mine. Because what he was trying to do during that time is convince donors and strategists to say, look, this guy can't take a punch. Look at his poll numbers go down. Look at mine go up. Do you really want, Trump was doing a Sun Tzu thing, which is, don't have the fight you don't have to have. Mm -hmm. And so if he could get DeSantis to reconsider running, which I don't think he was going to do, and say, maybe I don't want to do this. Well, I think that's what the goal was. That I, was. I, th I think it failed. Right, it did. But, yeah. but I think that the idea was not, and if you can't get DeSantis to do it, can you show these major donors and operatives and activists and grassroots supporters, that's the guy you want to hit your wagon to? Here's, here's how we're going to punch him. Here's how my poll numbers are going to go up and his are going to go down. That, to me, was the strategy, is to convince everybody you really want to do this. Is the bigger problem there, and I don't mean to make this fully about Trump and DeSantis, but just sort of broadly about politics, 
that the more that that sort of stuff goes on, these nonsensical games and all mm -hmm. that stuff, it just will keep culling the field. We'll just never get good people in. You know, my argument for DeSantis, it's not just that the proof is in the pudding. Like, he's a good person, too. It's fairly obvious. And, and, and also, there's a generational shift right. that I think needs to happen. But that basically, if we're, if we're always going to be willing to throw out every trick in the book and, and treat everything like it is, you know, a war in China right. 2,000 years ago, that, that we'll get what we deserve, which is a bunch of sellouts and, and yeah. nincompoops, basically. Uh, yes and no. I mean, you, so despite all that, as we said, DeSantis is running. So it didn't work. Um, and I also think that Trump is, you know, I've said this before, so I'll say it again, I think he's a unicorn, politically speaking. You're not going to see another Trump. So once this cycle is over, Just I don't... Just for the hair alone. I mean. yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't think you're going to see him again. No one can pull this off like he can. So I, I think there's a uniqueness to this cycle. You're not going to have another former president, second time in history that this has happened, that you're going to find somebody that tries to do this again. It's just not... so. We're, we're in a very unique period in time, I think. Uh, that being said, are you going to see people lay off their opponents? No. Uh, all right. We can talk about Republicans all day. Let's do a little, little bit of Democrats, and then we'll move on to some other things. I mean, Biden's going to be 82 by the time he, he would... Announces. Uh, Take by, office, yeah. Yeah, 82. He obviously has something wrong with him cognitively. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. They refuse to talk about it on mainstream media, yeah. which gets to what we were talking about earlier. What is going on with the Democrats? I mean, are you, do, do any Democrats talk to so, you anymore? You yeah, know, no, no. But I mean, look, in here's What's the thing. They don't. The, I will say this. For his, I don't know how much Biden gets credit for this or his team does. By putting Kamala Harris as his vice president. <laughs> genius. It genius. was genius. Yeah. Because you're basically saying, you don't want me? You want her? Okay. <laughs> Stick with me, folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did a video on YouTube that people should go look at because I believe that the Democrats have bet the farm. If you go to my YouTube page, I lay this out. This is how Kamala Harris becomes president of the United States. They believe that Biden can sneak by Trump. He sneaks by, whether he steps down or, look, and it's not, I feel like to your point, people can't talk about it. Let's be honest. The average life expectancy in the United States for a male, a white male, is 74.2 years old. Biden's 80 now, okay? He's on borrowed time. That might be rude. Those are facts. No. So that whether he steps down, he gets removed by his cabinet, uh, impeached or something like that. He's not going to serve Just out a second dead. term. Right. I mean, it could happen. Right. So it could, right. So my point is, is that this is the play. But you look at Harris. Within her own party, she's been rejected. She didn't even make it to the Iowa caucuses last cycle. Her poll numbers are underwater tremendously. And then the next leading people, the Pete Buttigieg and the Gavin Newsom's, are stuck at 6 7%. They have no bench. Which is kind of shocking to me, the sense that of all of these young people that you tout and that you get, I mean, there's no one that gets double digits outside of a sitting vice president. I mean, that's, that is mind-blowing mm -hmm. um, when you think about it. It sort of tells you no one even believes this nonsense. Like they somehow made the right move with Biden because it, it did accomplish the goal of getting the, right. the presidency. But there's just nobody believes any of the, the ideas. Or that... <laughs> <laughs> that their party doesn't know what they want, that no one's stepping up to the plate. They're all playing. The problem is, this gets back to what you were asking, question before this. You have, you think about the people I mentioned, whether it's Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Gavin Newsom, they're not authentic. 
they're not out there talking about the real problems that people are facing and saying, here's what I would do and here's how I would lead. They're full of talking points and identity politics. But roads are racist. I'm, of course I'm they are. I drove on one in the pothole. Uh, I, I could it got tell. right out of your way because it, you're white. It so, did. And my yeah, privilege, yeah. I was like, you get out of the way <laughs> and I'll send the other people down that, that ravaged road. Um, but that's the point is that people look and say, they're not, this isn't what I wanted. But the idea that nobody's willing to step up to the plate in the Democratic Party and be that person that's the ascent, that's the next coming. I mean, you think back through history on the Republican and on the Democratic side, it always hasn't worked out. I mean, we had Scott Walker on our side, very, very successful governor in Wisconsin. He led the field for a while, kind of faded out, but then other people kind of filled it in. Bill Clinton, back in the day, you had John Kerry in that same race in 92. There were people. It was a it was a battle of the mm. of the mind. Who could be the leader? And Clinton making the case then as the chairman of the DLC, the Democratic Leadership Committee, that like this more moderate tone was was what we needed to embrace in the Democratic Party. Them fighting it out and them going forward. The idea that they have no one now that can get double digits. That's I mean that says a lot about where they're at. Um, but you just have to look no further than the, the Pennsylvania Senate race to understand why. They will elect whoever yeah. you put on the ballot or they'll vote for them. So it's just a question of who can get, you know, 13, four. my view is in the next open race in the Democratic Party, if Kamala Harris, if Biden were to sneak by and Kamala Harris were to come in, that, that seals it, right? You can't, there, no one's going to challenge her uh, in, a, in a serious way. But there, there, it will be interesting because whoever sneaks by, my guess is, is with a plurality. Um, but you even look at, at Robert F. Kennedy. He's polling just shy of 20%. They're doing everything they can to shut yeah. that guy out. Yeah. Not only that, you got ABC censoring his, his speeches. Um, they're, you got YouTube censoring his right. speeches. Yeah. But they, they, they don't want anybody as an alternative to him. Yeah. Do you sort of admire the, the ruthlessness of the DNC at some level? I mean, you well, can let's say all honest, you want about the Republicans, but the Republicans who didn't, who obviously didn't, the machine didn't want Trump, right. but they, Trump won fair and square and they right. let him become the nominee and eventually the president. Right. The DNC, they're, they're going to do everything they can to make sure Robert F. Kennedy is a Republican by the not. end of this thing. Oh, yeah. And that, that he is not allowed on a debate stage. That he, They'll do everything they can to limit ballot access. I keep saying he should just say I'm a Republican now and at least they'll put him on the debate stage. He could. I, I, I don't, run, I don't I mean, know what makes... Actually, do you know, know what, what I would what love? What I would love, I would love him to run as an independent. Yeah. That's where I think that if you're a Republican, you want Robert F. Kennedy. He gets on five, six, ten states. That's a big enough deal. But you don't think that hurts the Republicans more? Oh, God, no. You don't think it, it gets the people, let's say it's Trump, who are just totally Trump deranged to be like, ah, not going to vote for Trump. I'll vote for him. So people who I, generally... You could probably argue so, either way So with, people with who Kennedy. generally don't want to... When you're given a binary choice, it's Biden versus Trump. Uh, then they're forced to pick. And they'll say, I don't like Trump, but I hate Biden. I'm either A, going to sit out, or B, I'll hold my nose and vote for Trump. Um, if they're not going to vote for Trump in the first place, then you're just giving them a place to, to move their, you know, move over to. It, it's not, it actually, I think, would benefit the party um, to have him. The big thing that was interesting, if you look at 2016 versus 2020, the absence of third parties, if you think about Jill Stein, um, the Libertarian I mean, she was the Green Party candidate, but the Libertarian candidate, there were at least 15 states where the third party's margin made a difference in 2016, and that didn't exist in 2020. What was the Libertarian? What was her name again? Anyone remember? Joe Jorgensen. I, did you ever interview her? Poor lady. I had mm -hmm. her on the show once. She does like an hour selling me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, in many ways, I am a Libertarian, yeah. obviously. 
but she does an hour selling me on everything. And then at the end, she made the cardinal mistake of saying, so are you going to vote for me? And I said, no, I'm voting for Trump. <laughs> It was like, I think that was her most viral moment of the whole time. But the point is that these, these third-party people, they basically don't exist at this point. Well, they give you, they, 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 the, again, this gets back to you know, this whole idea of like what's important to understand. Ballot access is huge. Yeah. Getting on a, a, a ballot in a lot of states if you're not a major party is, is a big deal. And so how does the Green Party get enough signatures or do well in a previous election where they, they maintain that ballot access? Because if you can't, it's either you have to pay a ton of money, you have to get the signatures, which costs a lot of money, um, and then you're off the ballot. And if you can't get on there, then who cares? You're a non-factor. The only decisions that matter are the ones that people have to make. And if they don't, can't vote for you, then it's a non-issue. When you leave D.C., now you're still going to do the show from D.C.-ish, is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't wanna... yeah, yeah. It's fair. Uh, I'm not breaking any news up. Okay. My ha- wife's not going to... Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't got know. kids, you know, <laughs> I, my wife and my kids are going to be like, yes. Yeah. Do you, do you ever fear being too close to just, I mean, literally like the proximity to D.C. and just the, the, the sort of nepotism and the whole thing uh, can kind of color your, your view of all of this? Um, so we, I'm from Rhode Island. A lot of my family's there. We have a place there. Uh, and so we spend, a, you know, a decent amount of time there. I love getting out. I do a lot of things beyond uh, politics that, that bring me around the country. And so I, getting out, and this gets back to what we talked about earlier, where a lot of these journalists don't, getting out and among people. Um, I do a lot of, I'm on the board of two veterans organizations that uh, I bring me around to places. And so I get to see people that don't care about politics. That's not top of mind. They're worried about you know, health care issues, making enough money for their kids or themselves, making a rent payment or something. So you really connect and understand what's on the top of mind of people. Their concerns, safety, security, threats from abroad, whatever it is that you you don't necessarily pick up in D.C. because everybody's got an agenda, uh, and sometimes it's not always uh, it's it's not always genuine. You're telling me people in D.C. are not I, genuine. Breaking that, news wow. on the Rubin Report. You're really going for yeah, you, yeah, Now that you're uh, untethered by yeah. uh, the corporation, you're really going. Oh for yeah, it. I'll, I'm willing to throw it down. <laughs> Do you have any uh, fears of, of going totally independent and, sure. not, and not, you know, having that structure behind you? Yeah. Um, it, and, and the biggest fear um, is just more of like a personal nature, uh, like a healthcare or I mean, meaning that if you have to go somewhere for five or six days, I mean, I know you, you were just in Israel a few weeks ago. Uh, if, if I got sick, what does that mean? How do you sustain yourself? Um, there are things that you have to worry about, but again, it's a binary choice. You know, I can sit and, and um, I was offered a contract to stay with Newsmax, and that was the decision uh, that I said, okay, do I want the next two years to, to continue like this, or do I want to bet on myself? Do I believe that I can build something? Um, I've got a great team. I've partnered with uh, a very successful conservative production company that has done very, very well uh, putting shows on. So you're building the home studio, the whole. Oh no no operation. no! This is this is not a home studio. We're looking at you're locals. You're going to well, it all. This, well, you can use this in Miami. Thank, I appreciate you're, that. You're Thank you. I might be coming yeah. just in the winter yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but so we've got we're building out a studio Great. in DC. I do have Great. a home studio that I can do things from. Um, but this is we are we are making something network quality. Uh, that and again, part of this is even from a set design or whatever. I want the the folks at locals to be part of this process and say to me, hey, I, I hate when people sit 
you know, uh, too far away from each other. Why don't you, you know, stand up or, I mean, I, we'll, we'll pose questions. Yep. We'll bring these guys into this discussion. Um, and we've got a couple months. The goal is to launch the show in, in later in the summer. Um, and there's a lot of big things coming up. But, but what I want is to use the time and the opportunity that we have now to say, okay, I think I have a lot of great ideas about how to do this. The production company's been very successful at doing this. But I want to know what you want. What do you watch stuff you've seen, you know, whether it's watching you or Bongino or, or you know, uh, Dinesh. Yep. A lot of great people and creators here, um, Isabel Brown, I mean, that, that, that have done great shows. What do you like? What do you don't like? And you guys have paved the way. Now I can come in from behind and say, tell me what you like about what you watch, what you want differently. Join the VIP uh, section on my Locals channel, Sean Spicer at Locals, and and tell me, what is it that you want more of or less of? But that's the beauty of this. Uh, and I mean, there is a little bit, of, of course there's a bit of a fear. But I, I think, as a friend of mine said after I made the announcement, he said, you know, you've always done this. You, I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. I've sold everything growing up. My parents' view was, if you want money, you go out and make it. And so I sold greeting cards, birthday cakes, um, you know, you name it, I did it, washed car, whatever it took, because that was the view. If you wanted money, yeah. uh, you made it. And so... If you build it, they will come. I mean, yeah. the, the idea that I left Patreon and created a subscription model that ultimately became Locals, that now Russell Brand is on, and, I mean, and Dinesh sold right. 2,000 Mules on, and that you're on, and Glenn Greenwald, and Crowder, and all these guys. It's like, I guess if you actually do something worthwhile, then people show right. up. And, and so, for me, that was it. Like I said, and I'm not being... Uh, patronizing, but I truly do believe that when you watch people do this and you say, okay, in my own way, I'm not Dave Rubin, I'm not Dinesh, I'm not, you know, but but I think I have something to offer. Um, and, and so if I can bring people into this process, go out and do this every day and say, okay, the Durham report just dropped or uh, this just happened on Capitol Hill or Trump said this and DeSantis went this way, why are they doing that? Um, I mean, he, and this, like I said at, at the outset, everybody's got their skill and their insight into something that they've done personally or that God's given them the skill to do. I, I know politics and party rules like the back of my hand. I mean, for some people that's probably dorky, uh, but I love it. Yeah. And so to be able to say, well, here's the problem, you know, rule seven of the RNC rules doesn't permit the following. It's not about ex liking it or disliking it, it's about explaining it. Yeah. You know, it's literally like when you're watching uh, a baseball game and saying that's a foul ball. You may say it's a great hit and it went really, really far, but it was outside the baseline and it doesn't count. So it's understanding the rules of the game that I think is important as we head into this unbelievable historic and consequential election. I ask everybody some version of this question, politicians and media people, are you worried that the more that we go in this independent route, that they'll be, okay, the people that watch Spicer, and okay, that's where they're getting their truth from, the people that watch Ruben, they're getting their truth there, people watch Megan, they're getting it there, and that ultimately, even though our truths are <laughs> roughly right. in the same thing, but you do that with all the different voices out there, that we're gonna just end up completely living on other planets, well, we'll all be on Earth, but other intellectual planets, maybe we're there already. Well, the, the thing is, I mean, you, you listed off your example. I don't think that my truth is that different from your truth. That's no, no, so that Megan. wasn't the best example. No, 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 Me but what I'm Megan, saying is... It's, it's like within a... Sure. Yeah. We're, but I also think that, that window, what yeah. the problem is, part of the reason that this evolution has occurred is because the ABCs and NBCs and CBSs for a long time were the only options you had. 
you know, when I grew up, you literally stood up, turned a dial, yep. and that's all you got. That's you, old school, you, it was, you didn't even have the box with the wire. Listen, I'll tell you this. It was like 15 years after cable came out before my parents even caved, and I think that <laughs> it's like they were required to. Uh, they were like, you'll get up and turn the channel. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this idea that this happened because they didn't do their job. Yeah. Um, and they're not seeing stories and they're watching issues happen and saying, we hear that this is happening. I see it with my own eyes and no one on these big channels is talking about it. And so I watched uh, a, sh you know, a couple weeks ago, we saw this thing uh, where that gentleman uh, held back uh, the, the person on the subway. And all of the media kept saying, oh, yeah. uh, this Marine veteran killed uh, a, a homeless uh, man on the subway. It's like, okay, that's not exactly how mm. it went down. Mm. And the media keeps framing stories. They've lost us. It's not like independent media just exists. It went out and said, let's try to find people and make this a big marketing exercise. People said, I don't like what I'm seeing. Give me something new. And people like you and Russell Brand and everyone said, great, I will bring it to you. And people said, I like that. But it also doesn't mean that that's the only place they're getting it from. I would encourage people, go, I want you, go watch ABC News tonight. Go watch uh, or listen to an NPR segment because you're going to see what you don't get, what news You'll is being suppressed. You'll have to drink heavily. Right. You know, that, well, that's MSNBC. Right. Yeah. Oh, they're all drunk. Yeah. They have uh, to be drunk. Or they're just stupid. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem is that they created this problem. Yeah. They created a void in the market that was filled. And um, so, great, I'll help fill it. In summation, Sean, you're telling me I cannot promote this vehicle properly because it doesn't have a name. Can I even, is it seanspicer.locals.com? Yes. So yes. that at least it is. Yeah. But we just don't know the name of the well, unnamed Well, if you show. join, but if you join the VIP section, Dave, I can, get you, I can get you in. You can get me in. For a deal. Okay, uh, see what I can do. I mean, I think we're, it's like four bucks a month, five bucks a month. All right, Come on, all right. this. That's Maybe two months free with an annual subscription. <sighs> and oh wow, just, he's not even doing. Listen, that. I, I got a kid. I got kids. <laughs> um, look, I, I think part of this is that that's the beauty of this. Let's yeah. let's do this together. Yeah. Um, tell me what's what's going on, but join, be part of this, and uh, I think that's the fun part of it. Um, and then over the course of the next several months, we'll go to places, we'll talk to people, we'll bring up issues that I don't think you'll see anywhere else. And again, the thing that's so beautiful about this is. I think between the White House military, you know, time on Capitol Hill campaigns, I can show stuff to you that, frankly, no one else on television or even on the internet does. I mean, there's just no one. I, I mean, when I left the RNC after six years, I think I've been the longest serving person in that in that post in modern history, at least. Um, so the idea of being able to see multiple cycles and to say this is what went wrong once, this is how it got corrected, these are the reasons the rules got changed are all really important to understand the world that we live in, and more importantly, how we can change it. If you don't know how to change it, yelling at the wall, or the television, or your screen, or your tablet, isn't gonna do anything. But I think what we saw during COVID was that people said, I don't like what I'm seeing, I don't like what my kid's learning, I'm willing to go out and change things. I'm willing to you know, fight for it, to join a school board, to sh show up at a PTA meeting, and change occurred, and I think, that's kind of what we want to offer is how do we go out and make things a better place? Because I don't like where things are going right now in terms of the woke culture, um, immigration culture, the threats that we're facing, both from China and abroad. I, I, so I want to give people the tools and say, here's how you can actually make a difference. 
John, I am but a humble independent content creator, <laughs> but you as a former cable news guy, I'm gonna give you a chance to look directly in the camera and tell the people where to go to end this program. Dave Rubin's local audience, please join me on this journey. Help me be successful, as successful, if not more, than Dave. Uh, I thank you for allowing me to be here, and please join my Locals community, Sean Spicer at Locals, and, uh, and then become a VIP member and make this your show as much as mine. Thank you very much. Appreciate your support. And I look forward to your vote. Wait, we're not voting. <laughs> End communication. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.